and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. This is Sharon. I'm Christy. Hello and welcome again. We kind of told you that last week we kind of got off of our normal routine, but we just wanted to do something that was a little more fun and just a little more lighthearted. So we hope you did enjoy it. But this week we're going to actually switch into parenting. So it's going to be maybe two or three in this series on parenting. Parenting is something that I've taught for a lot of years. I've taught things like strengthening families and, of course, love and logic, and then doing a lot of family systems work throughout my career. So that's kind of one of the things we thought was really important is parenting is a really, really hard job. And I always tell the people who come to my office, it's the toughest job you'll ever do. It's 24-7. So we understand the magnitude of it. So we thought, you know what, let's do a little bit and let's see if we can give a little bit of ideas to help people if they're struggling or if they're even not struggling and they just want to be able to gain some new skills, then that's kind of what we're here for. You've seen a little bit more of that with being in an office and seeing parent and children in that office setting. So for you, you get to see it from a different aspect of how the kids behave and stuff like that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I see when people first start coming in and some of the struggles that parents have and just seeking advice from you guys. And it's always interesting to me because after people have been coming in for a while, it seems like you can see the progress and change over time. So that's really cool to be able to witness that because I know everybody needs help, especially in that department. Do you find that it's just in the child's behavior? Do you find that you see the parent-child relationship get stronger or, you know, how would you describe that? Well, I would say it comes from both ends. It seems like that it's always good when I see the therapists work with the kids, but I think it's really good too when they have that input from the therapist to the parent. It gives them some some guidelines, I guess, or some ideas about things that they haven't tried before. So I see that sometimes play out in the office, you know, when they give them ideas about things that they can do to keep the kid on task or things like that. And I think it's difficult too. you know, I, I think that, you know, in the years I've done this is oftentimes I'll see parents and they'll use certain terminology with the kid like, that's disrespectful to a five-year-old or a six-year-old or younger, or even a little bit older. Those are their abstract ideas. And so then instead of they can address a behavior, but when you start using words like that, I think things just get really confusing. So, you know, one of the things I talk about is ages and stages of development of children. Their brain is not developed. You know, it develops in stages. And I always tell parents when we're when I start my parenting groups, I and when I say this, I really mean it, that I really feel that everybody who's parenting is doing the best that they can with what they have. But, you know, I don't care who it is. All of us in any situation, in any job, in anything, we can always learn more. It's that thing of trying to be better than we were the day before, whatever that is. And that's all it is when we work with parents and helping them to learn some different skills. I think that you hit on a really good point there because I do see that a lot. I think that parents forget it's not that they're meaning to talk over kids' heads, but I think as an adult, you forget how a child thinks. 
And sometimes they are using words with them that, like you said, that respect and an abstract idea that that children can't understand on that level unless you break it down for them and help them to understand. So, and I, so I think that that does happen a lot. One of the things I do is we love to people watch. And we were in the grocery store one day and we were by the produce and the man tells the little boy, go get a couple of apples. Well, the little boy brings back three apples. The dad's all mad at him. And he's, he's there like, what is wrong with you? You know, using that tone with him, you know, when the kid just starts to shrink up a little bit and the dad must have noticed that I was watching. So then he kind of looked and then he looked at the kid and he looks at the little boy and he goes, do you know what a couple means? And the little boy goes, no. And the dad goes, oh, it means only two. So we even little things like that, that we take for granted that we know these things, but they don't understand what these things mean. So I tell parents, take that extra minute, explain things. You don't use, if a kid is answering you, you're telling them something and they're doing something else, that means that they are not understanding you. And I love this too. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And the kids are like shaking his head. Yes. Or they're going to shake their head. Yes. A lot of times because they're now being, in, they feel intimidated or they feel like they are supposed to know it. And they think that they're going to get in trouble maybe if they don't, because especially, you know, if the kid's not doing what the parent wants and, but the parent doesn't understand that they don't have full comprehension of what they're being told or asked to do. Absolutely. Once again, when we talk about ages and stages of development, knowing that your child's brain is really developing. As we continue on here, we're going to talk about the ages and stages of development. We're going to talk about sometimes I think that as adults, we talk to children like they're little adults. We were talking about how sometimes kids don't, they don't understand words. And there was a really good example that Christy reminded me of. Yeah, a program that we were watching and there was a mom talking to the little boy and she was showing him pictures of a whole bunch of different people. And she says, can you tell me if any of these people look familiar to you? And the little boy sat there and looked at the pictures for a few minutes. And then he finally said, what does familiar mean? And she says, oh, she said, well, you know, does do any of them look like someone you know? And so then he could understand. And But a lot of times I think that kids are afraid to ask the question. So, you know, one of the things I encourage parents to do is speak in a way that children can understand. They don't understand. And we're talking younger kids here, okay? So let's say even 10 and below. Some of them don't understand some of our abstract thinking. They start to understand it, but they don't understand it completely. But when you have little ones, you know, that are six and under, they don't have that same comprehension. And that's what we talk about ages and stages. What does their brain development look like? When oftentimes kids will, they can have a good vocabulary, but it doesn't mean that they understand the words and the different ways in which they can be used. And I think that's what's confusing for parents a lot of times is that they, because the child may use certain words, they think they have a a comprehension of what it is. They may accidentally use it in the correct way, but I think a lot of times it just comes through mimicking, you know, what they hear all the time. So you hear kids a lot of times say, actually, but I don't really think that they really know what that means. 
So there's stuff on vocabulary and stuff. So we're going to touch on a lot of different things. The other thing is, is that when we look at, when we're trying to teach children new tasks, when I would run my parenting class, I would often hear parents say, well, they're just not doing their their tasks. They're not doing their chores. And I would ask, well, okay, how many times have you shown? Well, I showed them once or twice and, you know, that's more than enough. And I remind parents, when you start a new job, your boss doesn't go in there or whoever's teaching you. They don't just go and say, okay, give you a real quick rundown and then give you another quick rundown and expect you to understand it and comprehend it. No, in most jobs, you have a ramp up, you have training, you have all this but oftentimes we are not allowing that luxury with children. So having anybody who's listening to this, pausing, thinking, how is it that I'm teaching these kids? Kids learn through example. I tell every adult, children are watching us all the time. They're watching us, they're learning from us. So I say as adults, we have a responsibility to role model those appropriate behaviors for them. Those things are important. But when we're talking about parenting, the primary thing we're talking about to begin with is that relationship that we are establishing with our children. What does it look like? Do I want my children to be afraid of me? Do I want my children to walk all over me? So am I going to be that authoritarian parent? Am I going to be that helicopter parent that we all talk, you know, we hear about? Or am I going to be that parent that it's not necessarily, it's the most effective is that one that listens, that uses those moments as teaching moments. Those are the things that are important. Being approachable by the child, you know, and being for them to be able to ask the question or be able to go to the parent and talk to them and not feel like they're going to be in trouble. And I tell adults, a majority of time that children are being talked to by adults, it's because they're in trouble. It's the teacher, the principal, parents. That's why they do that thing of going into the fight or flight often. You're talking to them and you see that glassy look come in their eyes and that's the flight. They don't know what you're talking about. They're just nothing. They're not registering anything. Or they dig their little heels in and they fight you. And it doesn't matter what age that is. <laughs> that will happen. So we look at those things and we're looking at those behaviors and we're trying to see how nurture children in a way. But at the same time, as parents, you want your children to be grow up to be productive and self-sufficient. And it is a balancing act. And understand this. I get it. We are all busy. We all are. It feels like we work in more and have less time and all of this stuff. But I always tell parents, it is not the quantity of time that you have with your child. It is the quality that of the time. It's the quality that you do with that time. What is your investment? And I don't care whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes. What is the quality in that? We're going to talk about the importance of quality of time. And we're going to talk about why it's important for us to have those relationships, to build those relationships with children. And I think that especially like because parents are most of the time we're conversing with adults all day. So when you have that little bit of time with the kid, you, you really have to switch gears and start thinking 
from that perspective and on that level. And and remember, you're not talking to another adult. In my career, I've seen a lot of children, but I see my youngest that child that I've ever seen was two. And the oldest person I saw was like 72, I believe. And the thing is, is that other clinicians say, how do you do that? Because I would go from four or five-year-old to an adult, to a 13-year-old, to a, you know, I would be all over the place. And the thing is, is I had to learn to shift with them. I couldn't talk to all of them the same way. You can't do that. The other thing is, is that I've always enjoyed being a play therapist. I can sit and play with kids. To me, it's an easy transition. But it was, I've been amazed in my career how many, when I would do play a more of a family play therapy, how many parents did not know how to play. They had no clue. And they would come in and I would tell, you know, your child gets to talk about the play and, and set the course for the play. Well, he knocked down all my army men. That's okay. We just put them back up. I can't tell you how many times my blocks have been knocked down as soon as I'm ready to put on that last one and they will come and knock my blocks over. And I just start and I redo it. And parents are like, how doesn't that bother you? And they're like, why would it? What's so bad about it? It's their development. It's their learning. So teaches them that if something falls down, guess what? You can refix it. You can remake something. They learn by that example. Really important lesson in life overall when you think about it because it teaches resilience. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that we're in that relationship is what is that resiliency also? That's a huge thing. How do we teach children to rely on and to to move forward in the face of adversity? Knocking down somebody's blocks is quite a bit of adversity for a small child. <laughs> they get very frustrated. You teach them to look from a different perspective because I had a child in my office and he was doing the little round thing that, you know, it has the star and the circle and all that. And you, you put him in and he's sitting there playing and he has the star and he's trying to put it in the circle and he, you know, has a little hammer that you kind of tap in. He was starting to beat that star, trying to beat that star right into that circle. And he's looking at me and I'm just watching him because I'm in my head. I want to see, I want to see how this is going to play out. He gets mad. He throws a little hammer down. He gets up. He goes to the wall and he's all upset and he's starting to cry a little. And I'm just looking. I said, you know, let's see. So he looks over at me and I look at him and then I look down at the little thing and then he looks down at the little toy and he looks and he walks closer. And from when he stood up, he could see the designs. So he got all happy, went, sat down and then could do the thing. He just needed a different perspective. But I didn't have to sit there and tell him. I wanted to give him the opportunity to see what he could come up with on his own. So giving them a little bit of room to grow, so to speak, is important as well. So when we're talking about this, and once again, understand, I believe every parent is doing the best that they can at this moment, but we all have room to grow. And that's all this is about. How do we develop those relationships with the kids? How do we speak to them at the level that they are at? And I'm not sitting there saying dummy it down. No, absolutely not. What I am saying though is speak where they are. Speak at their level. Having a little bit of patience with them and understanding. I mean, one of the neat things about being a kid is you can believe in magic and things like that. Things that 
adults forget about and things like that. So you have to put it all in perspective and, and give them a little leeway, I think. It's really interesting when you said that, because it made me think about oftentimes when, you know, you say give a little leeway, how many times I'll hear parents tell me, my child's lying to me. They're like four, five, six. I'm there like, well, what do you mean? Well, I asked him, you know, I'm watching him. And I said, well, why did you throw that on the floor? Did you throw that on the floor? And the kid's looking at him like, oh my God, they must not see me. They live in a magical world. They're not lying. Part of it is, is they live in this magical world to a certain age. I was outside at my parents' house and my nephew was there and he was talking to me. And so he's telling me this story and I'm just listening. And then he pauses and he looks at me and he goes, Aunt Sharon. And I go, yeah, he goes, this is just a make-believe story. It's not a lie. It's a make-believe. It's just pretend. And I said, honey, I know it's pretend, but that they feel that need because they do. They live a lot in their head. They create all this stuff in their head, which is great. It's magical. It's important. And so understanding that sometimes when a little kid is doing that, they're not lying. They live in a magical world sometimes. How do you navigate that too? And how do you teach them when it's important and when it's okay to tell stories? Well, we talked about earlier, we said about like with little kids, they, they get excited when something's going on. They just want to tell you. And of course, as adults, it's always, ah, this is growing up talk going on. And one of the things I teach the kids in my office is that if we're in and, I, and they're in with me and, you know, I'm talking to parents or whatever, and the kid gets excited about something and wants to go talk to mom or I or dad, I'll tell parents what they have to say is really important in my office. And so what I do is I teach them in my office, if they want to talk to me or they need to say something, they just come up and they put their hand on my knee and that signals me. And so I'll tell who I'm trying to, hold on, he has something important to say. So we pause because why would in my head, as adults, do we think what we have to say is so much more important than what our children have to say? I've never understood that. And I think that it minimizes sometimes what is important, or they may feel minimized. And that's not our job as adults to make children feel minimized. It's to encourage them. It's to lift them up. It's to give them hope. It's to encourage that magical world for a little while, because trust me, they're going to get to that place where it doesn't exist anymore. Reality sets in. Exactly. And sometimes reality reality can really suck. So it's how do you do that? But when you establish those relationships early on, and you then what you also do in that relationship that you establish early on is you teach boundaries. You teach about consequences. You teach that for every choice in life we make, there's a consequence, positive and negative. Of course, you do it on the level that they understand, but that's where it starts, teaching those consequences, positive and negative. But children often only know about the negative consequences. So it's teaching them. No, if you do a good job, you get, you know, an extra 20 minutes of playtime. That's a positive consequence for doing what you do. But we don't talk to them about that. What we will teach them is if you don't do that, you're losing your electronics, you're losing 20 minutes of playtime, on and on and on. But we don't teach them the flip side of that, which is just as relevant and important. Another thing that I have realized, even from sitting through your parenting class and sitting out in, in the office and watching parents too, is a lot of times 
parents are so focused on telling kids what they don't want. And what I have heard you say many times and watched you with kids, it's telling them what you want them to do. That's when they hear the message correctly. And because there's so much focus on what you don't want them to do, that's all they hear. So I feel like that the the true thing is the message is lost. I'm in agreement. And that's a really good point because, you know, when I was working in schools and stuff, the little boy was always getting in trouble. He was running. Don't run. Don't hop. Don't skip. And the teacher's getting more. And I'm there like, I call him over and I say, honey, I need you to walk. He goes, okay. That's how simple it is. They really do get it. We need to talk with them about what are our expectations. As we talk about expectations with children, we as adults have to be clear on what it is that we want. We talked about communication. We talked about speaking with intention, being clear about what we're saying. That is really, really important when we're talking about children. We have to have clear expectations. You have to be consistent with them. And the more clear you are with your expectation and the more you're consistent, you'll find that you'll get into a rhythm with kids. They'll develop a pattern and they're good with that pattern. But so I tell, you know, when I'm working with parents, I say, think about it. What is it that you're wanting them to do? And once again, Christy, you know, when you brought that up about telling them what is it that you want them to do versus don't jump, then they're not jumping. Now they're bouncing. Now they're doing. And pretty soon the parent is just mad because <laughs> they think. Perfect example of that is my little brother. And one day he had come into my bedroom and he was only like, I don't know, maybe three or four. Anyway, he had come into my bedroom and got up on my bed and he was jumping up and down. And I said, no, I said, you do not jump on my bed. And he said, I'm not jumping, sissy, I'm dancing. <laughs> In his mind, that was not what he was doing. And so, and kids will do that and we don't realize it. So the thing should have been, the better response to him would have been, you need to sit on my bed. And once again, it's setting up those expectations, being clear about it, helping them to understand. It's hard enough for them trying to navigate everything that's new and different because everything's kind of new and different to them when you think about it. But it's a learning process. Getting ready, the school year started and I have kids going into middle school and high school and all the different grades and stuff like that. And they're anxious and they're like, well, well I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just remind them that everything is learned. Everything is practiced. And just like you navigated kindergarten and then you navigated the third grade and now you're going to navigate middle school and then into high school. But it's reminding them because they get overwhelmed with it. Once again, having those conversations with them, helping them to understand that they're important and what they have to say is important, super important. You know, when we talk about boundaries, children need boundaries. Boundaries actually help them to feel secure and safe. They flounder about if they don't have them. And people might think, well, that's being mean. We're not talking about punitive stuff here. We're talking about setting up a boundary for them. It's about saying you have to complete your chores before you can be on your video games or you, you know, your schoolwork is the most important thing followed by video games or reading, drawing, whatever it is that they like to do. But it's keeping that expectation, 
setting those expectations as the school year starts. That's the biggest thing. I tell parents, sit down, talk with them, say, this is what the expectation is. You come home, have snack, do your homework. From there, you get to have your whatever time that you have, whether it's video games, watching TV, YouTube, whatever, but having that and remaining consistent. And I understand that sometimes things change, but that's okay. The more consistency, though, the better the child is able to navigate as well. Helps them understand what is expected of them, because if it is constantly changing, then how are you going to get them to be consistent in what you want them to do? And we talked about the establishment of the relationship. And, you know, one of the things is, is I will often ask parents, what do they dream about? What do they dream of being or doing or whatever? And some parents are, I don't know, they're little. The thing is, is they're never too little because one of the things is, is that it starts with the dream and they can have the dream. And then what we do is we nurture in that area. So say it's somebody who the kid wants to be a veterinarian. It might be, well, maybe we should start with just having a cat or a dog or a bird or something small. How do you treat them? Starting that nurturing. Having the dream is the important piece. But the other thing is, is having the bridge. You become part of that bridge to their success in how you encourage them, how you help them understand that they have that potential to do those things. And along with it, then when you're talking to them about these are the boundaries or, or these and the expectations, you're expected to do this. Well, I don't want to remember this is your dream. You want to be the veterinarian. Well, these are the things you have to do in order to be a veterinarian. Do you still want to be a veterinarian? Well, yeah. Okay. Then you got to do what you got to do. And we often times forget that piece as well, nurturing those dreams, but helping it being that bridge to help them get there to be successful. And that is through setting up those expectations for them and realistic expectations for them. That's important too. Having structure, I think, even on the small things, if you have certain expectations of them, things that they know that they are required to do, I think that that helps them just to become better individuals throughout their life. They have an understanding of what they have to do to better themselves. And along those lines, one of the other things I teach parents is that when a child does something, and doesn't matter what age, and you sit there and you tell them, oh, I'm so proud of you, things like that. The thing is, is that it's called intrinsic versus extrinsic. So when you're telling them that, oh, I'm so proud of you, then it's about them doing something for you. But when you use terminology like, you must really be proud of yourself. You must be proud that you could accomplish that. You must be. Then they start doing it for themselves. And then it has a different meaning to them. Those intrinsic things are what we want. You want them to be doing stuff for themselves. You want them to be bettering themselves for themselves because the problem becomes that day that they get mad and they don't care if you're proud of them or not or whatever. But if it's internal to them, then they're more apt to do those things to continue to strive to be successful. The other thing I work with uh, parents and stuff on is noticing. Because oftentimes we don't, and I get it, the kid might go and uh, put the laundry away or something and you may, maybe you're there like, you might, oh, thank you so much for doing that for me. Once again, that's about doing something for them, for you. 
So one of the things I tell them is, is sometimes just telling them, oh, I noticed you put the laundry away. And now they're noticed. I had one parent I did this with. He was a younger boy and he could get in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> so we were trying to really switch that with him. And so I had mom start with that, you know, just noticing when he would do those things. Because so much of the time, once again, we're constantly talking to them about everything that they're doing wrong, that we're not taking time to notice when they do something right. So I said, I don't care what it is. A little thing, doesn't matter. So I don't know. I think he threw his trash away. You know, with, no, he actually put his cup in the sink, which he normally didn't do. She'd always have to tell him, you need to put your cup away. Well, anyway, on this particular day, he put it away. And she was really surprised by it. And so she said, as she's walking away, she goes, oh, I noticed you put your cup away. And she just walked away. She says, well, then I know, she goes, then a couple of days go by and she goes, he put his cup and his dish away. And I, oh, I noticed you put your cup and dish away. Didn't say anything else. So she goes, then he becomes my little helper. She says, but then she goes, where, you know, I was washing windows or something. I don't know what I was doing, she says. And He's there and he gets his little rag and he starts and she goes, I look over and he's washed the wall and he's washing the paint off the wall, but he's doing a good job. But once again, he was noticed. And when we do that, we shift something in them. So I tell people, notice. As adults, we want to be noticed. Why do we think children do not? And once again, we have these really weird double standards with the children. I mean, there's all those old sayings we hear, you know, about, I just drew a blank right there, spare the rod, spoil, spoil the child, child, those kind of things. The thing is, is that, or children should be seen and not heard. Those kind of things. I think everybody wants to be heard. I think everybody wants to be noticed. And I don't think it takes that much to make that happen. So those are the things that we're talking about. How do we do that? How do we encourage and nurture and help kids to feel comfortable with who they are? Well, and to recognize within themselves why those things are important to them. It's like you said about the intrinsic value of something, teaching them that because that's going to take them a long ways about being dedicated to something that they feel is important to them. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, with kids, you know, when they're acting out, sometimes we forget they don't have the same vocabulary we do. And sometimes they're just having a bad day. You had given an example about the kiddo that wanted to, didn't want to make their bed that day. Yeah, didn't want to make her bed and she was just having a bad day. The parent gets upset and they're having this thing. And it's like she's entitled to a day when she's just having a bad day. It's okay. And you say, you try to, but what happens is, and that this is a good point, is that we spend so much time attending to the behavior that we're missing the message. And I always tell parents, as parents, you are detectives because there's a message in the misbehavior of children. They're trying to give it to try and tell something because they don't have the vocabulary sometimes. So it's not the kids being to be defiant sometimes. It's because they're trying to tell you something. And I am working with this mom and the little boy was just, it was a bad day for him for whatever reason. And she's got to get in school. She goes, honey, go get your gloves and get ready in your 
you know, your hat and get ready for school. He's stomping. He's mad. He's throwing everything around and he's, oh, just mad. And we'd been working on this. And she goes to him and says, you know, hon, I don't really think you're mad at the hat. I don't think you're mad at the gloves. I think there's something else. She goes, what might it be? And then he told her what was making him sad or bothered. And she says, oh, okay. She says, well, I can work with that. She says, no, let's put the gloves and everything back where it goes and let's go to school. And he was able to do that. Once again, she took the time to not address the behavior. What happens is, what are you doing throwing that? You put that stuff away. These become the things we do. Don't you stomp your feet. Don't. And I have parents often, well, they have attitude. Um, they're like, what does that mean? Well, she had to clean up the kitchen and she's stomping and she's <clears throat> doing stuff like that. I said, well, did she clean the kitchen? Well, yes. I said, was the task to clean the kitchen and be happy? Well, no. I said, do you have days at work where maybe you're stomping and you're, well, yeah, but I said, there's no difference. She said, who cares? You attend to the behavior. I said, so you and her argued about the behavior for a good 15 or 20 minutes. And guess what? She was still mad. It didn't help the situation. Instead of, you know what? It looks like you're upset and you don't want to do the dishes, but you still have to do the dishes. Empathy is another thing. Empathy goes a long ways. Well, I'm sorry this makes you upset. Or I'm sorry you don't like math, honey, but you still have to do it. Because then we're attending to the underlying message. Or I know you might feel like you're dumb in math, but you're really not. Those are the things. Paying attention to that misbehavior. Paying attention to the true message within the misbehavior. Not the misbehavior itself. Because there's a message there. Listening with intent applies to children just as much as adults. It's in any relationship. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we don't do that. And once again, and you know, it's not just with children. I mean, adults will do that with each other. Well, you spoke in a tone. <laughs> and then you're talking about the tone and you never get to the real reason. And I think that that is something that we see often with parent-child relationships. It's the parent is attending to the behavior and not trying to find out what's creating or what is really going on in that. And that mom did a beautiful job when she realized no, it wasn't about the thing. Even though it upset her that he threw, he was throwing the gloves and she was going to be late taking him to school. She realized at that moment, there was something else going on. And as soon as she said that, I know you're not mad at the gloves and that, is it something else? And then he was able to tell her. She made it a comfortable, inviting thing to tell her. So those are things that are important. Not attending to those behaviors, but really trying to more attend to Listening with intention is huge, is particularly with kids, because they don't verbalize the same way. Sometimes they don't even know it's maybe bothering them or something, and but they're it's they're acting out. And so I think if you take some time and you know talk with them and ask some questions, and you know you can work through those things, and you're not just tending to the symptom of the problem. Basically, you're gonna actually get to the root of what's wrong. Well, I think that's true. And then we talk about kids that are teenagers. Oh, Lordy. I always tell parents, I'm sorry, it will end. 
<laughs> but I remind them they're learning about themselves. They become more reclusive from the family. Friends become more important, but not truly important in that way because they already know they can rely on you as, as their parents. They already know that you love them and accept them. They're trying to be accepted by others. So that becomes their focus. How do I make that happen? How do I navigate all of this? And who am I when I'm done navigating? And those are things that are really important to them. So when we talk about the teenage years, that's a whole other can of worms, let me tell you. Because they are, they get brooding. They, you know, they're always in their room. I don't like when they're in their room. Well, then make a, once again, set an expectation. Tell parents, you can do that. I don't care if you stay in your room, but you have to come out for dinner and you have to, you know, there's these expectations. The rest of the time, by all means, stay in your room. But set that expectation. Help them to understand that you appreciate the fact that they're going through something and they're having their little development stuff. But at the same time, they're a part of a unit. They're a part of this unit. And so therefore, they have to actively participate to some degree. Helping them understand their contribution to that unit. Yes, that is something that's huge that I talk a lot with my clients, with my parents and my children when I see them. If it's my the children I'm seeing, I'll ask them, what is your contribution to your home? What do you mean? Well, you get to live there. You got some really cool stuff. What is your contribution? It's your home. Act like it. Be a part of it. Do something. Whether it's a chore or whether it's helping out when somebody needs help, it's sometimes it's just having family time. Those things are all relevant and important. And that's the thing. How do you help them to navigate that as well? Helping them to understand. And as a parent, you have to know what do you want their contribution to the home to be? Because oftentimes I'll hear parents say, this is my house and my rules. And well, why would they want to contribute to something that's that they feel is not remotely theirs at all? They're not going to. Why would it be relevant to them? Exactly. So that's one of the other things. I tell people, you have to be careful how you say things. Because it's, yes, honey, this is our home. And we have expectations in our home. I tell parents all the time, have family meetings, sit down, get their ideas. If your kid thinks you're being too hard, well, come on, bring it to the table. What do you think might be fair? Or even when parents are a uh, child's done something wrong and the parent might be upset, telling them, I am so upset right now with you <laughs> that I need a minute. So I'm going to go and I'm going to think about what the consequences are going to be. And I will come back to you. That lets them know that the feeling they're having it's not like you're, because I'm upset or I was really afraid, it's okay to let your kids know those things. I was afraid for you and it upset me and I'm upset right now or whatever that is. And sometimes it might be, I am really angry right now and this is not the time to talk to you about your consequences. You, There's nothing that says, there's nothing that says you have to implement consequences immediately. But I will tell you this, and this is a big one. Consequences have a beginning and an ending. And this is something that I have parents struggle with. And what I mean by that is the kid gets in trouble. I say, well, what is your consequence? I've lost my phone. Okay, for how long? I don't know. Well, what did they tell you? They said when they feel like I've learned or when 
they'll make that decision, blah, blah, blah. There's all sorts of things that they'll say. Then I talked to the parent. I said, well, does this really make sense? Well, it could be indefinite. I said, geez, even in our judicial system, if you're caught speeding, the cop doesn't take your license or the court doesn't take your license and say, I think I'll give them back to you when I just, when I think you've learned your lesson. No, you have a consequence. You do your consequence and you go on your merry little way. It's the same thing in parenting to give an indefinite consequence because guess what? Pretty soon that consequence don't mean anything. There's absolutely nothing. It could be just like in a job. I mean, you may get a reprimand for something, but you know when that ends. So, I mean, because you wouldn't stay at a job that if they thought, well, we're never going to give you certain privileges back, then why would you stay? Exactly. And that is really an important thing. There has to be a consequence has to make sense. And I work with parents on having the consequence fit the crime, so to speak. Punishment fit the crime. That is super important. There has to be a beginning for it and there has to be an end. The other thing I am big on is the thing of redeeming oneself. If a child makes a mistake, working with them on how they can fix it. How can they make it better? That is really important. How do they, you help them to learn to redeem themselves? Because we will all make mistakes. People want forgiveness, all of these things. But yet, we do not allow sometimes people to redeem themselves. And one of the things I say and I think is really relevant and really important is we have to allow children to redeem themselves. What is it that they can do to make whatever they did better, to fix a problem? Because that is a skill that they're going to want later in life. It's a skill that we should all be using. How do we redeem ourselves? If I've harmed somebody or if I've done something, then given the opportunity to make it right. So that's what we're talking about. How do we give kids the space to redeem themselves? That goes along with the consequence. If the child does the consequence, what can they do to redeem themselves? And where the consequence has a, a beginning and an end. Sometimes I tell parents, how can they earn something back? Because it's not always about, once again, what can I do to earn this? If the kid goes and breaks his remote or her remote, no, it's not just a given that you're going to go replace the remote. No, what it becomes is you broke this. What do you, first off, you're in trouble for breaking it. But second off, you had an emotional outburst, got to work on that. And then the third thing is, is how do you going to earn this? Because it's not my responsibility to go buy you that phone, a remote, whatever that is. What can you do to earn that? They have to understand that piece. Giving them the opportunity to rectify the situation, but they have to have a clear picture of how they do that. Absolutely. So I say, give them some ideas. Let them tell their ideas. So this is the start of our parenting piece, okay? And the thing is, is this is kind of like an overview of it. We're going to be more in-depth in the next couple of episodes around this topic, okay? So I know it might sound like a lot of information that we're putting out there, but it's going to make more sense as we go along, I hope anyway. <laughs> as Christy always says, it'll make sense once we get there. <laughs> so that has become my philosophy as well. 
it'll make sense once we get there. So like I said, it's a lot, but it's just the starting point. Remember, as parents, you are doing the best that you can in this moment, but it doesn't mean there's not always room for improvement. It's not about anybody beating themselves up or feeling like they're being talked down to or anything like that. that's never the intention of this. It is really just to give more information. Ideas to improve. Absolutely. So that's the goal of this. So like I said, the next couple of episodes will be continuing with the parenting thing. We are going to pose a question. And so what it's going to be on the Facebook is, is there somewhere in particular that you're having a struggle with the child? Because if you can give us some feedback, then that might be even something that we can address on the next episode. Okay, so we'll post that. And also not just that, but have there been things that you've done that have just been really successful that you've stumbled upon or you figured out on your own or whatever that is? We'd love to hear that too. So just keep all those things in mind. And just remember, we do would love any interaction on the Facebook page. And uh, you can always find it under two girls in a pod life's journey and everything in between. And when you do enter that, you're going to need to enter the number two, not spelled out. It would be the number two. Okay. Well, thank you so much again for joining us this week. And we look forward to our next episode with you guys. Anyway, talk to y'all later. Bye. Bye.